Hey folks, welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your co-host, and I couldn't be more thrilled to share this interview with you today. Today's guest is a longtime friend of the show, and he is such a beautiful soul. I was brought to tears multiple times throughout this conversation. I'm so grateful for this guest, and I'm grateful for his life and the life he brings through his art. Talking about Makoto Fujimura, better known as Mako, world-class artist, painter, eloquent speaker, and beautiful writer and author. We're graced to have his wonderful wife, Hedgen, with us today, who is a force as well. Mako is a four, Hedgen is an eight, and we get into their worlds, into Mako's art, into their relationship with each other and how they flow together as a four and an eight. We talk about Ian's relationship with Mako as two fours. If you're not driving today while listening, what I would encourage you to do is go over to Makoto Fujimura, that is M-A-K-O-T-O-F-U-G-I-M-U-R-A.com, and just look at some of his art while you're listening to this podcast. That would be the perfect way to experience this. Again, we're just so thrilled. I'm glad you're here. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And without any further ado, now here is the host of our show, Ian Crumb. Hey, Typology Tribe. Yes, it is your friend, Ian Morgan Cron, speaking to my good friend, Anthony Skinner. Woohoo! And more importantly, Anthony, today is a big day. Oh, we've been waiting for this one for a long time. Oh, a long time. Because today I have one of my oldest friends in the world here, the painter, the author, the Renaissance man, Makoto Fujimura, and his beautiful wife, Hedgen. Fujimura mm. is in the studio as well. Yay. Mako is an Enneagram 4. Hedgen is an Enneagram 8. Woo-hoo! 8. We are going to talk all about that relationship, the dynamics of it, and we're also going to talk about our friendship of uh, mm. decades, a couple of decades now, yeah. Yeah. and what it's like for two fours who are artists mm. to navigate life together in different seasons. This is going to be really great, man. Can I say one thing? Go ahead. I was telling my son last night, he's 21, he's a filmmaker, and I was telling him we were having Mako and his wife on the show, and I just said, the beauty about Mako for me is he's a master artist, but he can also not only paint, you know, just master art, but he wraps his words around it as equally as well. It's one of the things I so appreciate about you, and that's why I'm looking forward to today. Yeah. Yeah. So you better be articulate or you're letting everybody down. <laughs> this better be so profound that people will weep in the car. They'll have to pull over while they yeah. listen. Uh, yeah. There'll be a lot of silent moments. <laughs> <laughs> Reflection. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Marco, let's just talk a little bit about how we met, yeah. the circumstances. Hedgen, don't worry, we're going to get to you uh, very soon. But I do want to talk for a moment about what two fours are like Especially, you know, we didn't really know the Enneagram when we got together as first That's friends. That's right, because it was after 9-11, I remember. You yes. were planting a church. Yep. Um, you came to this New York City. I was 
still in my ground zero downtown uh, area. And yeah, I remember meeting you first time and we, we just connected right away, mm. both of us on this journey. You're right, we didn't know Enneagram right. back then. So, But we knew each other's hearts and that to me instantly, right? There, this is one of the things about the Enneagram has often explained to me past relationships. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. that's why that happened for the for good or for ill that's why that happened this is why that connection made sense this is why that relationship blew up it's interesting to me to look back and through the lens of the enneagram and because of that there's been in many instances some real healing some compassion uh some amends that had to be made and again that's one of the gifts of the enneagram we yeah, we met. I remember going to your loft down in Greenwich Village. I lived 35 miles from there. I was mm. training in. And uh, I remember when we first met that what I connected with so deeply was the unusual lens, and I, at least I thought so at the time, through which both of us saw the world and mm. how we moved through the world mm. and how I think we both felt like exiles in the world. <laughs> yes. How, what do you think? What made the connection oh. between us two fours? I think it's all of that and, you know, being in your church planting, really, at the time, starting something new, being an artist, I know what that journey is like, how both difficult and exhilarating and this beautiful mess that we create. And, you know, in the context of post-9-11 New York, there's this particular resonance to to people always thinking about the future, you know, and creating something that is daring and filled with risks, but also that faith comes into, there's always a lens that clarifies things and keeps us humble and also excited about what this future will bring and so there was all of that i remember just chatting with you and sensing such connection because it, there was this new reality breaking or whatever that meant and we didn't know what the future held but looking back it was very precious mm-hmm. yeah we were younger in fact uh, i have a series a painting series that you did for me i think the first year we met called St. Francis Preaching to the Birds that's, right. that's in the house. We just looked at it. And we hadn't yet, you know, our my writing career, your painting career, everything we were doing was so nascent then. And we just had, you're right, we had no idea what the future would hold for us. Yeah. We were just putzing around, trying to do our best, <laughs> hoping that something would happen. Right. Thankfully, something happened, right? Yeah. You discovered the Enneagram. You read The Road Back to You. I think that was your intro of some kind uh, to the yep. Enneagram. And I remember you calling me and going, I'm a four. I'm a four. <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, and I was like, well, no kidding. I mean, it, that was not rocket science for me to figure out. I mean, you could walk down the street and we could pick you out as a four on the basis of clothing and, uh, you know, the way yep. that you were, you know, peering off into the distance. Yep. What happened for you when you discovered you were a four? Well, it made sense. Uh, first of all, I, I, I think there's just this reality to it. I'm very much shame-driven. You know, that's my shadow. And I grew up with that. And I think growing up in Japanese-speaking household that was in New Jersey <laughs> and having a mother who was an educator kind of amplified, <laughs> you know, how everything, good and bad, were part of the mix and 
it just made sense to me clicked and the fact that I'm a strong wing three allows me to be on stage for an hour and I can basically intuit the room right away I know how to be present and then I'm done you know I'm completely like I go backstage and weep because even though whatever the presentation was successful whatever impactful I have this deep sense of shame that you know Mm -hmm. I've always done something wrong and I don't deserve not only any kind of applause but you know these are all things that I should hit myself over the head with and for many years I was that was the norm and when I discovered Enneagram it really helped me to understand my shadow and you know I remember you telling me once you just cannot go there you cannot go to the land of shame and that was so helpful like it was forbidden like I just can't do that because I will spiral into my cycle of depression which is which has always accompanied me you know in some ways and that makes me a great artist but it's not healthy yeah you know one of the things we've had a conversation about and uh, I know it's we've had a little bit of debate about it. and of course you would be you'd have the upper hand but I've always said that ja- there's a couple of cultures that to me strike me as very four Japanese culture has a, a, a stream in it not yeah. the whole of Japanese culture but a stream that we have been very interested in, which is the in the wabi-sabi tradition. Yes. Kintsugi uh, yes, emerges yes. out of, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Kintsugi, the joining of shattered, the shards of shattered pottery with golden joinery is what the term actually means. If you've not seen it, go to go online, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, and you'll see exactly how a four thinks. In the mm-hmm. Ted Lasso recently. Yes. So oh, was featured in gosh, Ted okay. Oh, wow. yeah. Well, <laughs> and there's another, so that tradition that wabi-sabi tradition, the beauty and simplicity. And when you, you guys, if you go on and you just look at paint photos, and uh, you'll just go, oh, you'll see the inner world of the four. There's a term, my son Aiden, who's also got a four thing going on, that is so great, which is yugen. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yugen. and I want to yeah. just read people to what it is, because it's, it, I think it describes a little bit of us, uh, the four side of us, right? And what it means, uh, again, I'm going to read this to you all. It suggests that which is beyond what can be said, but it is not an allusion to another world. It is about this world, this experience. And he, there's a poet who writes in this tradition. He says, to watch the sun sink behind a flower-clad hill, mm-hmm. clad hill mm-hmm. to wander on in a huge forest without thought of return to stand upon the shore and gaze after a boat that disappears behind distant islands, to contemplate the flight of wild geese seen and lost among the clouds, and subtle shadows of bamboo on bamboo. You have very distinct Japanese sentiment flowing out of waka tradition of 10th century, really. That's when about when these terms of something that is fleeting and ephemeral something that is even dying away is more beautiful. So the cherry blossom blossom in its full glory is yes, beautiful, but it's more beautiful to watch it fall. That sense of very Japanese refinement, really, of Chinese and Korean cultures flowing into Japan. But there is definitely a full strand in terms of internalizing experiences, lamenting uh, at the same time, realizing life is short, but 
it's beautiful. And so there is a sense of that. Now, another counter trend to that in Japanese culture is this, what I would think is a six kind of like like the lemmings going over a cliff, Mm. not knowing, you know, anything and just following the dictates of uh, autocrats or whatever nationalism that is still rampant. That's part of Japanese culture as well. But the poets and artists like Senorikyu, Tea Master, from which we do get Kintsugi out of is a very much a four strand. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage people to think about two things. One is, if you want to understand a four, you just delve into Japanese aesthetics, particularly in the wabasabi tradition. And I think what you'll hear, like in that poem I said, is you're, that is, when I read that work I just read, I think, you cannot be more four than that, right? Absolutely. Now, What's interesting is, and don't worry, Hedgen, getting there. One of the things that uh, we were just talking about was that you you use the word future a lot as you were describing our friendship. And it's interesting that you bring it up because if you were a social four, I suspect you would not have. You were a self-pres four like me. Right. <laughs> and I think, you know, that self-pres fours straddle the past and the future. The three makes us a little more future-oriented. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we often look like threes or sevens. So I, I agree that I can be very past-oriented, thinking about and becoming melancholy. And by that, boy, that, what I just read, you talk about <laughs> melancholy. But I also have a future mind mm-hmm. at the same time, which yeah. I think has sort of, which is funny because both of us are artists, but we're also pretty good at marketing our art. I mean, that's a three thing, yeah. right? We want people to know about it. We want to get out there. And of course... You have an eight wife who I'm sure has had That's a lot to right. do with that. Yeah, it's been quite a journey together. Yeah, to it has been. Four and eight combination. Let me just read something to you. Are you ready? This is from Helen Palmer. This is a partnership of intensity acted out by fight, flight, fascination, and flair. Each feels somewhat awed by the other. Eights feel themselves to be coarse and blunt in comparison with the elegant and socially adept romantic. From their side, fours can be utterly magnetized by the socially shameless boss. It can be a real cliffhanger when a romantic drama sinks with eight's lust for life. You're laughing. I wish you all could see this in the room, but these two are laughing silently as I'm reading this. It's a sex, drugs, and rock and roll relationship acted out either literally or metaphorically because intensity can be achieved through any number of lifestyles. One couple described their 20-year relationship as a continuous lightning storm. You're out there swung around by the power of it. We've moved all over the country, had five children, worked incredibly hard, and had thousands of great fights. <laughs> all right. Does that sound like my four and eight couple in here or not? I mean, it's been, what, three years for us? Yeah. And, but that already describes who we are. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Except, I mean, but except in, in your case, your intensity is played out in your calling and your mission. Yeah, right? that's it's, true. It's, it's, yeah. You, you know. And, I mean, me being a social aide, I think that kind of also plays into our relationship. But, so this... You know, we are a pandemic couple, so we got married during pandemic. I remember. I went to the wedding online. That's right. That's right. And so we got to have very small wedding in the chapel where we couldn't even fit all of our family members because only 10 people were allowed, including the bride and the groom mm. and the photographer and then officiant and the video guy. And so we had like two people yeah. from our family members. An organist. And then we had very small backyard 
wedding reception with like 20 people with a tent which was beautiful but we got to have actually over 500 people as a guest on zoom which is just for us it's like yes heaven but this past quarter that we just passed right of 2023 we traveled to 10 cities in five countries so that's almost every week that we're in different cities. And so that kind of reflects a little bit of the intensity that we are kind of putting ourselves into. So I think that kind of <laughs> describes who we are. <laughs> we don't have five children together, but we do we have, have over 100 children, children. in India um, that we are caring for. So yeah, there you go. There you go. What is it you most admire about each other? Mm. What do you most admire about the, your four husband and your eight wife? Well, I think definitely this missional intensity that Hejin has. I mean, she's not only a litigation lawyer full-time, handling all these cases, and having had, how many cases have you had? Like mm, over, over 500. Over mm. 500. She hasn't lost yet. <laughs> so you want to be on her side, or she should be on your side. And then running five companies in her you used to be a small office in Fort Lee, New Jersey and now we've expanded, created an estuary gallery there where we're exhibiting my work and so it's been a kind of this intense missional journey which I love. I love being called into that space, going to India every February in this crazy trip going to Korea because Hedrin has to do her work and I get to play. <laughs> and it's very intense and yet there's not a moment when we don't feel like this battle, this intense battle is worth it. It's meaningful. It's, it counts. Every day counts. And so we have committed to not sleeping apart because we met so late in life and we want to maximize our our love for each other and our intense <laughs> relationship. Uh, That's another intensity thing, right? Like yeah. We, yeah. But, you know, that has slowed us down too because we're committed to that. And in, in, in a sense, Enneagram helps to, that, to do that because we know our shadows. We know that for me to be alone in these travel is like the worst thing is like the worst thing that can happen and to have my bride at my side not just being at my side but producing everything that I do and that I get to carry her bags you know and that just gives me great joy to be behind the scenes knowing the intensity of what she has to handle in front lines and being able to support her so that that's been from my side but you know what I love about just a few days ago, I was in the office, and that day, literally, I worked on all my five companies. So my law firm, and Embers International, Marcus Work, I Am Culture Care, and Academy Kintsugi. So I worked on all those five companies, and then I stayed late because I also wanted to clean out our filing room so I can put, like some of Marco's stuff in our office. So I'm like cleaning and organizing and everything. And then at the end of the day, coming home, and I was just like reflecting on the day. And then I said to myself, well, why am I doing all of these things? And then the answer was just super easy. I mean, I didn't even have to like struggle with it or anything. And I mean, I don't know if, I mean, Ian, you can tell me if it's like, this is a social A thing or not. But I was like, well, cause I love them all. 
Like, yeah, I enjoy them so much, including cleaning the filing room. It's like so fun for me. So like, I'll never do anything that people like tell me to do because I'll be like, no. And me- meanwhile, she's like, Literally calling me while she's putting these boxes away and saying, "I'm so excited about cleaning." <laughs> I, I don't like to clean, so my studio is a beautiful mess. It's organized, but it's a beautiful mess. So I'm just laughing. I'm just like, "Wow." <laughs> But back to your question, Ian. Oh, there's so much I can say about what I admire about my beautiful hubby. But I think the first thing that I want to say is. Marco is the most gentle person that I ever met in my life. And I think me being who I am and, you know, my mom's prayer, I mean, my, I, we, my, like now our mom uh, is just mm. this incredible woman. She's just like a love yourself. And she's the one who taught me how to love well, love deeply. But she had one advice for me in your life, Hejin. You need to pray for this. You need to seek this in everything that you do. Always pray that God will give you humility and gentleness. And I think she, I mean, she doesn't know Enneagram as like a personality and theory, but she understands me, right? So you being who you are, and I understand you as this person, if you can accompany yourself with this gentleness, and humility, you'll be fine. Mm. So she was picking up maybe on your aggressive aid energy. Exactly. And saying, temper this. Don't necessarily, you don't want to shame that that power, that juice that AIDS have, but it has to be tempered uh, with its antidotal kind of virtues, if you will, of gentleness and of kindness and of Maybe another way of maybe a psychology where it would be emotional attunement to what others are feeling and how they're responding to your juice. Absolutely. So, so that's what she has been ta- telling me for a long time. And then I met Marco. And then, of course, I you know take that to heart and I pray for that and all of it. But then meeting Marco and his gentleness in everything that he approaches, like relationship, his work, and especially towards me. Like I learned so much from them, mm. and so how Marco responds to these things, and he is just so beautifully affirming in so many different things, and that kind of solves me also, and I feel more of myself actually because he allows me to be that gentle person because I'm a naturally protector. So that's that social that that's is that social aid. Yeah, I'm like when I met Marco, you know, he I just look at his schedule and the kind of demands that he has and then but then he at the same time because you know he lectures and he writes and he appears and he mentors. But then he always says, "I am an artist. I'm a painter. That's who I am. Everything else flows out of my studio." And then I'm looking at schedule, but like you have very little time. You go to studio every single day, but there are so many demands that you don't know how to say no to. And so I said, you know what? My number one job as your spouse, as your life partner, is that I'm going to guard your time in the studio. Mm. And that moment I said that, and then to me, that's very natural. Of course, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect that you can be who you are, who you want to be. And Marco almost cried. Yeah. And he's like, 
you will do that? That can happen? And I was like, that's no brainer for me. But it was so shocking for Marco that somebody else will do that. Mm. But as you know, with my being a protector side, and of course, I'm like, oh, you know, like, don't you dare, you know. <laughs> but because Marco's so gentle, and I'm learning so much from him, that it is kind of channeled into a healthier energy, I feel like. So Marco really allows me to become who really I am meant to be. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm, that's beautiful. What about, Marco, what is it about Hedgen that you're like, man, I'm, this is so beautiful. This eight is so beautiful. Tell me why this eight is beautiful. Yeah. And, and not. You can feel free to go uh, well, on. <laughs> you know, one thing people misunderstand her, this aggressive, you know, like she would reshape the room, you know, as soon as she's in the room. And as something that is this maybe even an intrusion or it could be seen as aggressive attack on an issue because she's so passionate about human trafficking or any issue. I mean, if you argue a case against her, you're going to lose, you know. But behind that, what I want people to see is her this extraordinary advocacy and love. She's always protecting somebody when she becomes passionate. And to me, when I saw that, I, I found that to be so beautiful because, as she noted, I really never met somebody who would advocate for me and to, you know, make sure that I was spending enough time doing what I love to do, which is be in the studio and painting, and was doing that for myself, but I didn't really have a context. So that I appreciate, but when I see her being in the world and front lines every day, battling darkness, I just find that extraordinarily beautiful. And to me, apart from, and we had to really spend time cultivating our friendship first, because I could very easily be her missional partner for life, and never really develop that sense of connecting with heart to heart with our vulnerabilities with you know almost like two children coming to play kind of a relationship so we had to work on that and we had some help good counselors have told us that to make sure that we were praying so much together initially as a couple dear friend and a person who married us david kim he said you need to play not pray Stop praying. <laughs> so take a break yeah. from uh, fasting, from praying together at yeah. least once a, a week, yeah. but uh, focus on playing together. You know, <laughs> there was advice. So uh, interesting, she mentions this again. Helen Palmer writes about fours and eights, and she says that she says fours need not be romantics in the poetic sense of the word. They are also scientists, cowboys, doctors, and librarians who find themselves drawn to self-expression. That's the key. Mm. Drawn to self-expression. Each four will want to make a unique contribution in her or his own field to Mm. achieve success in ways that have never been seen before. Mm. If powerful eights can support that special vision... They will receive the four's complete cooperation. I like that. Yeah, bingo. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, that's pretty good. Now, you both have a very different kind of intensity. You know, I know you well enough, Marco, to know that, yes, you're gentle and you're very, uh, there's a kindness, but there's an intensity there. Mm-hmm. But And you can, I can feel it, you know, and partly because the intensity in you sympathetically rings with the intensity in me. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I completely get that mm-hmm. dynamic. Your intensity is far more present and in the foreground in the foreground but what makes all that very interesting is that you're both fairly territorial and you both want leadership status it's very different like Michael, yeah, you know, when we first met, you were leading I Am, the international <laughs> arts movement. Still am. Now, actually, there were several people leading the international arts movement <laughs> in competition with each other for leading the international yeah. arts movement, yes. uh, of course. But you were very much attuned to wanting to be the leader of the international mm-hmm. art, and you were the leader of the international arts movement, but in a very different way than you would have been. And so there can be some competition in the life between a four and an eight for leadership status. Yeah, I. I I think what I recognize is though, for many years though, I have been trying to let go of the mantle of whatever I start. You know, I'm very good at starting things. And so I have like million things that I might want to start. <laughs> and But, you know, operation side is a different thing. And so in order for something to be enduring and impactful, you know, I was learning already to let go and trying to and work with my board and others to help me to manage all of these things that are happening. And when I met Hedgen, I, I think that gave me permission to relax a little bit. I don't necessarily have struggled to let go of the many operational things that I have been doing because it was such a relief. But I also realized I have a responsibility to the vision of what I have started and the unique call that a visionary has to a movement and to continue to speak into it in some way, but also allowing the operational realities to take over in a sense. And Hedgen had definitely helped me with that because she's such a good team builder, which I realized I wasn't, you know, certainly compared to her. I didn't understand that organization requires such stewardship of love to the details. And, you know, every time we go into her law office, her law office is now a gallery slash nonprofit space. There are values posted about loving our neighbors. Uh, It's not a Christian company by any means, but everybody has these values that they will abide by. They will agree to abide by when they, you know, when they're hired for this law firm, (laughs) they have to love their neighbors. And what does that mean? So it's always pushing that. And we walk in in the morning and first she tells us to have, you you have to look at each other in the eye and say, good morning. (laughs) This is a law office. And I find it incredibly beautiful, you know, like like these people are there to serve, serve their neighbors, to serve the clients. Anybody who comes in need to, if they're coming in for mediation, they need to be awed by beauty because the space is beautiful. And perhaps, you know, they can leave behind their acrimonious <laughs> ways. And so I've learned a lot from that. So so it hasn't been like contentious headbutting or anything like that because I, I so appreciate her leadership. I'm sure you mentioned 
you know meeting each other later in life so you've probably loosened your grip on maybe earlier what may have been more contentious now you can appreciate oh and let that go and let her hold that space for you yeah, yeah. And, a little much work then <laughs> right we've experienced uh, we've, we shadows mm-hmm. yeah yeah but also it's as i said i think our relationships build on a friendship mm-hmm. uh, level and because that's there i am her biggest advocate i am her biggest mm-hmm. defender i yeah. you know and so that that comes first in my mind when i see her doing her intense battles and you're right your mom is also someone that I've never had a mother who prays for me one, one hour every day. And that has changed the equation, you know, really a lot about my personal journey, but also that's the basis of our relationship as well. Thank you. I'm, I was just thinking back to how you have evolved, how I have evolved in the last years, you know, last 20 some years. The shadow remains, mm-hmm. uh, whether though it may be less dark or however we whatever metaphor you want to use for it what is your shadow like what is the foreshadow and how does it manifest itself in your life i was just thinking about these series of paintings that i did my darkest times that where ian you were there with me and uh I, I had to title them because they were untitled for a long time they were paintings that i done very dark mm-hmm. paintings so I was almost afraid to look at them because I knew they were done explicitly <laughs> to depict the darkness. Uh, when I pulled them out, because we have so many exhibits coming up, I had to look at all my paintings that I haven't exhibited. And I looked at them and I told Hejin, you know, these are dark paintings, but they're really also bright. They may be the most hopeful in that sense of capturing the darkness that fools are so good at. But... There's this intense hope. So I titled them after our friend uh, Christian Wyman's poem, My Bright Abyss. And it's a series that we will be exhibiting in Nashville coming up, hopefully. And I've never exhibited these paintings before. And I feel like that's part of the stewardship. Now, the thing about these paintings, though, is that I don't remember painting them. Mm. I had disassociated at that time. I painted 33 foot long painting that I don't remember painting, that I have sat in front of a a museum exhibit and I said, I don't remember painting this, but it's beautiful. (laughs) It's probably the best painting I've done (laughs) because my ego is not there. You know, it's only by showing up to the studio every day, practicing my liturgy of creating uh, that these paintings exist. So these are very precious paintings that I wasn't thinking about exhibiting them. I wasn't thinking about the market or, you know, you never want to do that anyways. But in these particular paintings, I was just showing up every day in the studio. You know, you called me <laughs> in the morning to make sure that I was up. And I remember just waking up, going to my studio, coming back, just repeating the cycle every day. Mm-hmm. And probably those years I produced some of the most beautiful works I ever painted. You know, it's interesting. One of the things I say about fours, that one of their unique gifts is they have this knack for being able to identify redemption in darkness, in suffering, and knowing how to stay with the suffering long enough to see the redemption, right? Or the possibilities of redemption. You know, you think about 
Graham Greene's, right, The Power and the Glory, and we think about, you know, Tutte Gras, right? Everything is grace, right? But after the most dark, yeah, the, you know, horrific... The, uh, the whiskey priest. The whiskey priest at the end cries, you know, all is grace, all is grace. And I think that's a very for kind of thing, you know, to emerge from darkness or to be in darkness and still be able to cry to others that all is grace. And, of course, we know some artists, Virginia Woolf or Amy Winehouse mm. or others for whom the darkness they could stay with the darkness but they had no capacity to they couldn't find a medium big enough or strong enough mm. to exhaust it mm-hmm. and to see they couldn't stick with it long enough mm-hmm. to see the bright it's o- o- overwhelming yeah to them it, so sylvia plath and yeah you know, sylvia you know. plath is another kurt cobain is another mm-hmm. now some of these are complicated by addictions and other things but the addictions themselves are mm. symptoms of this overwhelming kind of emotional Blizzard that they find themselves in, you know, and they can't adequately channel it. So it becomes too intense for them. Yeah. Mm. I do remember that period, and I remember well the, uh, the struggle. And I'm so glad that from it emerged these paintings because what happens then is other people who cannot right. stay in that space, right. who actually, or they don't even know they have that space within them, can borrow your vision for a moment. And your experience, mm-hmm. right? And it may be discomforting, mm-hmm. right? It may be uncomfortable, or it may be consoling, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's our job, man. That's what fours do. That's what tiggers do. Yeah, and th- th- all that cannot be in the world apart from a project manager or curator or you know somebody production uh, producer who puts that all together so so that these paintings can go into the world. I would not have pulled those paintings out apart from Hedgen saying we need paintings to you know, like this is our deadline to, mm-hmm. you know, tell them that these paintings are available. You have, have you measured them? Have you titled them? And I haven't yeah. even titled them. <laughs> so, so it requires, you know, the both sides. And, you know, before, before those technical, logistical questions, I'll ask Marco, like, would you like to show these paintings and bless them? Bless the world with mm-hmm. these paintings? Yeah. And of course, absolutely, his answer is yes. Right. You know, he, Marco is one of those very uh, beautiful artists who creates to bless the world. You know, it's not limited to his, it's not actually just, you know, his self-expression, like, this is who I am, you know. But yeah. it's more like, how can I deliver this message of new creation into this world with my paintings? So these paintings are like stuck in storage for a long, mm-hmm. long time. And I just, uh, my my heart just breaks for them because now I'm, I need to protect them too and mm-hmm. help them to be in this world and see. And so like there are these series of paintings that we have been able to exhibit really by God's grace. And they're just gorgeous. And we have more opportunities coming up. And I remember our dating counselor and marriage counselor, he was listening to us. And this is about just a few months ago. So we've been married for like good two years. And now we have just gotten into this rhythm of like married couple and understand how to talk to each other a little bit better and so forth. And so he was just like listening to our conversation. And then he just left. And then he said, I understand the dynamic between you now. And he's a very good friend with each one of us, like each one, each of us and together. And then he said, okay, so Marco has all these crazy ideas. 
And of course, Hejin, you are also crazy, so you understand those ideas. <laughs> so Mako has all these crazy ideas, and Mako lets them go into mystery. And Hejin catches them and then produces them. <laughs> Okay, this is like so classic. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, Marco, this yeah. is not special or unique. No, no, I'm, happy, I'm happy to yeah, you know, be so conventional This is here. so common for fours. Right? Fours have all these ideas, zillions of them. And they will become very enthusiastic about them. And then they can live in the realm of imagination because the four's imagination is so fertile. And so they're, it's up in the imagination spinning growing, gathering. And then the four won't always go to the high side of one, which is where they go in security, and actually buckle down and execute on the dream. And the dream goes off like a helium balloon into the ether. Off it goes, and then until the next balloon comes, which may be fairly soon, right? Or until depression comes, mm -hmm. because they have so many dreams and they can't execute. Mm -hmm. And then they feel... Why can't I do it? Why, you know, is it? And they become envious of other people who are able to do it, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's very common. And then someone like an eight or a one comes along. Either number is fantastic for this. An eight or a one in particular. I mean, anybody could, but eights and ones, I think, are particularly good at it. Who says, okay, all right, you do have all these great ideas and you have all these great resources that the world should see, but you simply are an idiot when it comes to getting them out there. <laughs> Ian's yeah. word and not mine, love. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I've said. I'm, yes. hey, listen, I'm, I'm, talk to me. I'm the four, <laughs> too, you right. know? And so it's like, you know, I can come up with ideas, but, yeah. I, you know, if I don't have a team of people behind me, like, saying, okay, well, you know, it, it costs this much. Or, you know, whatever it might be. What are you laughing at? Because I've been in those meetings with you before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, if you are fortunate enough to get uh, a partner or some people around you who know how to do that stuff, who believe in what you're doing, and then they get meaning from that. So it's not as though the person who's doing it is like sacrificing their own dreams to move forward the dreams of the four or the seven or whoever. They actually get a sense of life satisfaction and fulfillment That's right. from moving forward that vision and utilizing their gifts in concert with the gifts of the other to put together a partnership that becomes greater than the, you know, is the some part of, you know, the individual parts, right? The sum total is greater than the individual parts, you know? It's a beautiful sort of dance that you have, though, because yeah. it does, I mean, it could drive you as his partner crazy, right? But the fact that you appreciate that these, you know, dreams are even drifting off in the mystery, but you have a way of reaching in and grabbing it and, you know, heaven to earth, so to speak. You yeah, know? yeah. This is a joke, but I do have a question for you, Ian. So in that kind of sense, you understood it so well. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I need to sign Marco's paintings together with him. <laughs> you might want to do that. Yes. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of artists have the benefit of partners who either give them lots of space and they're hands-off, or they're very hands-on, you know. I was just thinking about that is sort of the way Felicia Bernstein was, you know, Leonard Bernstein's wife. Uh, even political leaders, I think, you know, I wonder mm. if Obama would have been as successful as he was without Michelle. Yeah. She's a one, he's a nine, mm. I think. Would Bill Clinton have been as successful without a one wife like Hillary Clinton? Mm -hmm. I think he's a nine. Mm -hmm. 
you, people argue about this, and it's all speculation, you know. But you know, these there are these partnerships that can happen, you know, that are really quite amazing for artists. And if they have the right partner, things work out really well. I think about Dolly Parton's husband. No one's ever seen that guy. Hey. They've been married for like fifty years. <laughs> yeah. He's on the farm, man. He doesn't even go to... He has never gone to award shows. He doesn't go to any of that stuff. He's very introverted. Uh, uh, not a recluse. I mean, kind of. Out <laughs> yeah. there on the farm. She yeah. adores him. Yeah. I think he just gives her the space to be her. Yeah. Other Others' partners would be very involved. Uh, she's fine on her own. Yeah. I have a feeling it may not work if he tried to Yeah, I mean, involved. she can move her own career forward Absolute. without any help, right? right? Force. But, but again, it's like... It's just interesting to watch how couples work mm. with each other mm-hmm. in their respective... Careers. I think about for me as an artist, Annie as a nine just left me a lot of space to, to have my own kind of identity and purpose in the world. And uh, and almost sometimes to a fault didn't put a lot of demands on me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sometimes in a way that I don't think was always very healthy, but mm-hmm. certainly I think has gotten healthier. But you know, she just let me be a kook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the way of supporting me. Totally, so yeah. anyway, guys, what a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So rich. Yeah. Finally. After <laughs> <laughs> all these years. <laughs> and it's in studio. Yeah. We're here. Which is the oh, coolest yes. thing ever. It is. Yeah. Because nice. normally now we've been since COVID, right, we've been doing right. so much uh, on Zoom or mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know. And uh, so it's really cool to have you guys here. And Marco, tell me where people, Hedge and Mike, you tell me where people can mm. learn about Marco because he doesn't know. <laughs> I have no he idea. He doesn't really that's know. That's true. I, that's true. Yeah. Well, makotofujimura.com is Spell his it, website. Please, because yes, otherwise. Yes, that's right. M-A-K-O-T-O-F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A.com. Yeah. yeah, right. So, and, you know, if you have, of course, any inquiry about acquisition or commission (laughs) (laughs) you will email at hello at makotofujimura.com and also of course you know you can Mako has his own YouTube channel and you can just type in his name Mm -hmm. and there is um, culturalcarecreative.com that we are leading co-leading Academy Kintsugi from Uh, there's iamculturecare.com that Marco's leading uh, as a nonprofit, <laughs> and so many others. Yeah. But I think if you have any questions about Marco and his availability, his paintings, or non-availability, or non or lack thereof, <laughs> you just email hello at marcotofujimura.com. Yeah. And just, I know you're about to ask for you know what you're doing, but when is the uh, exhibit coming? Mm-hmm. To Nashville. Oh, Anthony was so happy when he heard that. I was. Um, <laughs> well, this is most likely, we're still planning uh, right now, but okay. from October for the, I think, about three, four months. And so when we have the exact dates, follow Mako on social media, okay. and then you will get the exact yeah, date and location. Yeah. We're really excited about that. And then at that time, we will also have an opportunity to come back to Nashville. We're in Nashville right now to speak and meet other people. So looking forward to that. Well, in so fact, I had to that. drive you guys over to the place where this uh, exhibit mm-hmm. might take place That's right. right this minute. Oh, wow. So I don't, I, I don't want to really take us. I mean, we could just keep talking I for, know, for such day. a long time here mm-hmm. and actually begin to 
disaffect the audience because we're just going to talk about things that they won't have. We'll just be talking about us uh, as we are want to do as fours and also as dear friends who haven't seen each other in person for for way too long. (laughs) You know, folks, I don't know if you know this, but Annie and I are moving to San Miguel de Allende, Mexico in August for a year. Uh, We are not leaving here permanently. Of course, you won't know this because the podcast will continue my books will be continuing. Uh, everything I do will be continuing. But, man, I know that we've already been conspiring for you two to come to San Miguel for a week. And I will actually uh, be so disappointed that if you don't, because, again, the galleries and the artists and yes. the food. Oh, the food. <laughs> and you got a free gig. you got a free place to stay. So uh, I love you guys. Thank you, Ian. Love you, Ian. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to say publicly to all the fans of Ian Cron, what an incredible friend he is. And especially to Mako, that mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of fans out there for Mako, too. So many thanks to you, Ian, for my, your faithful friendship. My it means pleasure. A lot. He's not hard to love. <laughs> Once you get That's to know him. Hey, Typology Tribe, may you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. And may you have rest. Mm. Marco, say goodbye in Japanese. Sayonara. Mm. Next time. <laughs>